Hello, everybody. Welcome to our first Sunday in Advent, uh, this season of active waiting where we direct our hearts and minds toward the reign of the eternal kingdom. We look backward toward the birth of Jesus. Uh, from the early days of the church, people have been captivated by Jesus' promise to return and to fulfill uh, what he promised to John uh, in the book of Revelation, that God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And this is what Advent means. It means to arrive, to, we look back in order to look forward. But this season isn't about speculation, about how and when and, and the, the technicalities of that arrival. It's more about being alert and ready and preparing our hearts, freeing us from the distractions that keep us from really living under the reign and rule of the kingdom in the here and now. So Christmas is on a Monday this year. It's three weeks from tomorrow which makes it the shortest possible Advent season in the life of the global church. Uh, it's December uh, 3rd, 10th, 17th, and then to the 24th, Christmas Eve. Those make up the four Sundays. And because that last one is on a Sunday, we're going to have two different kinds of services that day. Our traditional candlelight service will be at 4 and 6 o'clock. But in the morning, we're going to have a smaller uh, service, more contemplative in nature, of singing and prayer and a brief reflection. You can check the announcements for all the other things we've got going on. But we have been so excited to celebrate with you. We had a, a crew of great volunteers this week come in and and decorate the place, put up the lights. Kind of that signal that something is different, that we're entering into a new season. Some of you I know are really traditional and you know you don't wait and you don't sign up for anything. You don't do any decorations until that first advent candle is lit. That's great. Others of you are like, forget that. As soon as the turkey is done, I am going nuts. I'm putting up the tree. I'm putting up the lights. Uh, it's Christmas. You're already like three days into the annual Mariah Carey Christmas challenge, trying not to go insane. And if that's you, God bless you. You will fail. It will drive you mad. That sounds just a lot, right? Other, other of you say like, well, okay, you say three weeks from tomorrow. Okay. I'm going to stay ahead of it. I'm going to get all of the shopping done. I'm going to get all of, you know, the, the decorations ahead. I'm going to get the presents wrapped. I'm going to get the Christmas cards sent. You got all the events. You got all the things mapped out on your own little advent calendar. You've got your bingo card of Hallmark Christmas movies that you're waiting to go through. I recommend a Royal Corgi Christmas. It's, it's delightful. You're, you've already gone home and you have decorated like you are Buddy the Elf locked in Macy's. You are ready for Christmas to begin. And all of those preparations, they're a way to tune our hearts toward the reality that in Jesus the light has come, that it is in his light that we see. So over the next few weeks, we are going to be in John's gospel with this announcement that the light has come. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, uh, but please join me in prayer. Almighty God, in your son Jesus, the fullness of light has dawned. And so we ask that by the power of your spirit, you would illumine our hearts, our minds, our ears, so that we would see and hear what it is that your spirit is revealing to us. 
We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. John chapter one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God God indeed. Uh, As early as I can remember, I have always been captivated by words. Uh, Some of my my most fond childhood memories are of bedtime stories where my mom would read about tales of knights on a quest or stories like, you know, David and Goliath, something that fired my imagination. I was always amazed by the, the worlds that were created by words that were put together well. Uh, that love of, of words and the stories they create propelled me to being an English major in college. And I spent most of my adult life working with words because they are the closest thing to alchemy that I can imagine. I love how the poet Emily Dickinson put it. I know nothing in the world that has as much power as a word. Sometimes I write one and I look at it until it begins to shine. Put together with care, words can bring whole worlds of beauty and grace into being. Uttered in anger, on the other hand, they cause untold amounts of pain and destruction. One tweet can launch a missile, it can end a career, it can break a heart. When we confess our sin, as we do each week, it's those words that many of us call to mind, the words that we have spoken, words of anger, words that have cut others down. Or if not the words spoken to us, or spoken by us, it's the words spoken to us, words that judged, words that diminished us, words that we can't unhear. Those three words spoken as a child, you're not enough. They have a way of covering your whole world in shadow. You spend a whole lifetime trying to outrun those words, trying to prove yourself against them. They give shade and texture to your whole story moving forward. And while those words are powerful for sure, you take a different three words. I love you. And man, it's enough to have light that pierces the darkness. They remind you of Other words that were spoken to you, words that while maybe you knew the person who was saying them, you heard behind their words the voice of the one who calls you by name and you've never been the same since. So it's no accident that John begins his gospel with another powerful three words, in the beginning. This is his way of telling us that words were always meant to be a creative force in the world. The biblical drama tells us that when God first spoke, when when God first uttered words, it was to create light and to separate the darkness. It was to, to flood that darkness with light. Genesis puts it like this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 
And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. The poetry of Genesis tells us of this world that was without form, this world that was chaos for sure, but it was a chaos over which the Spirit of God was hovering, was present nonetheless. And the thing about the Bible, which I find fascinating, is that it simply takes the darkness and chaos for granted. Those are not created things. Those were there. It's the light that had to get spoken into being. And even after that light came into the darkness, the darkness still hung around. It was always humming around like in the background of the story, which is to say it's still part of our lives and we see it every day. And then when God created the world, he's placed it Suspended in the heavens between lights and dark, which is to say that every single day our world turns away from the light and toward the dark. And I think that's a pretty good description of what we do as well. In a thousand different ways, every single day our hearts curve inward away from the light and toward the darkness. And I don't need to tell you about it. You've experienced it. You can read the news. And some days when you do that, it's hard to fight the impression that if we were keeping score, it looks like the darkness might be winning. And even if we know that's not true, our hearts get so accustomed to the dark that before long we know more about anger and fear than we do about hope and love. And so Advent is this reminder every year that hope is born out of the darkness. It always begins in the dark. In fact, it begins with a people walking in darkness, those who live in a land of deep darkness, says the prophet Isaiah. And so God says, I'm gonna do something about it. Now, all four of the Gospels take as a starting point of Jesus' ministry uh, that, that, that it was John the Baptist's ministry that he was kind of riding uh, on the piggyback of. Mark's was the earliest Gospel written. He starts with John, and then he kind of abruptly moves the story along like a writer on a deadline trying to get only the, the most important details out of the story. Matthew, written a little bit later, takes a little bit more time. He goes back to Abraham, in whom Israel's story began. And then Luke ups the ante once more time and he says, no, let's go back even further to Adam when all of humanity began. But then it's John who comes along and says, oh no, that, even that doesn't do justice to who this Jesus is before Abraham was, before Adam was, before even time was. That is where Jesus was. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And so Jesus is the image of a God who could no longer stand letting his people wander around in the dark. And so John takes us all the way back to the start to show us that in Jesus, a new creation is taking place. This is a new creation story. Because the only creative force powerful enough to save us is the one who was there speaking words in the beginning. 
That one who now can speak a word that pierces through the dark with hope. The one who speaks words of grace, words of forgiveness. A word that says, you aren't alone. I am with you. I love you. I will never leave. And even when you try to run away, I will spend my chasing after you. And the thing about words like that is you can't just speak them. You can't just say it and expect people to believe it. I mean, maybe you've known, I think we all have, the heartbreak of a promise when this word that was spoken by somebody who said they were always going to be there for you, but then their words just ended up being hollow. Or you've heard words of a promising opportunity, only to find that it dried up. Or a, a word of a favorable lab report after this period of anxious waiting. Word maybe of a new start in a new city. Each whisper saying, it's going to be better this time. It's going to be better this time. But in the end, it's just words. For you know it, the shadows are back. When you're young and you're parents and you have a child that will often come in afraid of the dark and come in and, and let you know, it doesn't do much good to just say, don't be afraid of the dark. You gotta be with them. Now, if you're gonna believe a word, it needs to be backed by something solid. It needs to have you with them. And so John tells us the gospel's like this. That word that was with God in the beginning, that word that spoke light into the darkness, that word has become flesh. And so in this opening sentence, John is letting us know that there is a whole new reality breaking onto the scene. Something fundamentally new has happened that yes, while this gospel story is about a man who lived in a particular place in a particular time, who lived and worked among a particular set of people in a very particular culture, the subject of this story is the one who stands outside of space and time. The author of this story has written himself into the plot. And that means your story is never going to make any sense apart from this story. And that's really what we're talking about at Christmas you see, like John, we, we've all got a gospel. We've all got something that we look to for hope, for salvation. Your gospel is whatever story you are living out in your life. Tim Keller once described this ad that he saw in the New York Times that said, the meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph and that we'll be ever to, we will be able to put back together a world of unity and peace. Which is a way of saying, we've got the light within us. And so we are the ones who are going to dispel the darkness in the world. We can overcome poverty, injustice, violence, evil, racism. We can do all that. We just pull our lights together. We can create a world of unity and peace. That's what's in all the Christmas movies. That's a gospel. It's a story to live by. Oh, there's the gospel that everything will be fine as long as you've got your family and as long as you are able to secure a future for your kids or the, the gospel of youth and beauty and sex appeal that has seen a 900% increase in plastic surgery over the last 15 years or the gospel of success and power and achievement. Wherever you are, there is a vision of the good life that you've got 
this thing that you look out at the world through, this, this organizing center by which you calibrate the light and the dark. And, and to be sure, you can affirm one gospel and you can live out another, but when you really take a hard look at your life, whatever it is that you are counting on to save you, whatever is writing your life story, that is your gospel. And so we have these four weeks of Advent here to gather, to remember that our gospel story is not about the light coming from within us. It's about the light coming to us. Isaiah writes this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And the prophet's hope isn't just that this light has sprung out of the world But know that this darkness has been pierced by a light that comes from the outside. Ludwig Wittgenstein was one of the least known but most influential philosophers of the 20th century, which if you're a dork like me, you know, is something that you're into. And he was this Cambridge uh, professor in the early 1900s, and the intellectual climate in which he was living and writing and doing his work was this one of unchecked optimism. It was this posture that, hey, look, the 20th century is going to be this period of unbridled peace and prosperity. We have put the superstition of a previous age behind us, and now it is up to us to just usher in utopia. But then this disillusionment came after the first great war of that century and this nationalism that was engulfing Europe, this gap started to open up in him between the story that he, was, that he was living out and what he was actually seeing going on all around him. And he saw these limitations of the human race and so he wrote in his notebook this line, the solution to the riddle of life in space and time lies outside of space and time. John's gospel is that the solution to the riddle of life has come from the outside. But not just to to watch and wave at us from a distance. No, it has come to be with us. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So we no longer have to fumble around in the dark. We no longer have to try to, to write our own story. You see, the claim of Christmas is that Jesus is the one in whom and through all things are made. And it's, it's not just that he has come to be part of our story, it's that the world and everything in it has been his story all along. It's been like that from the beginning. So, I mean, if you think about like the shape of what we do at Christmas, there's a lot of old things in them. We read these ancient texts, we sing these hymns, and we pray these prayers that people have sung and prayed for generations. We light candles, just like countless generations have done before. And every year, this cycle of seasons has this same way of telling us this same story, that God has come to be with us. It's not new. With all this old stuff, there's not really a way of making the story new and relevant to you. The thing is, that's never been the goal. The church is all about making a community that is relevant to God's presence in the world. It's his story we live in, not ours. All the battles, all the complexities of life and work are all caught up in the life and work of Jesus. That's why we pray to him for healing. That's why we look to him for hope. That's why we call him Savior and King. 
It's why we look for his light to dawn and join in his mission of pushing out the darkness in the world. All things came into being through him. Without him, not one thing came into being. And that includes your story. Truth is, we we all live by stories that we tell ourselves and that we tell others about us. And there are so many different stories out there clamoring for our attention that shape the way that we live. Stories in our culture about what we need to do and become in order to receive love. Stories from our family of origin about, you know, who we need to be that we carry with us well into adulthood. Stories in our heads that tend to define us and color the way that we see God, the way that we see others, the way that we see the world. And when these stories are false, they just end up being stories that put us in chains, get us stuck, get us hurt, damage the way that we show up with others in the world. In her book, Rising Strong, Brene Brown says, we've all got these stories we keep telling ourselves. And until we get honest and own them, they're going to continue to define us. And the thing is, when we let these false stories define us, it prevents us from living into another story, a better story, a truer story, a story that leads to life and hope and peace and freedom and joy. And John wants to let you know that the first word of your story did not begin when you landed that promotion. Did not begin when you got married and had kids or found the dream house. Your story begins with the word that was present in the beginning. Your story is as old as they come. And the hope of the gospel isn't that your life begins with your dreams, but with the one, with the dream of the one who was there in the beginning, the triune God who was speaking over creation at the very start. So before you even made any decisions, before you even made any mistakes, Jesus has been at work in your life. As the Son was with the Spirit and the Father at creation, shoving aside the darkness to bring about the light, so he has been about your life and our world, bringing about light in the darkness. All things came into being through him. Without him, not a single thing came into being. It's funny, you know, as a pastor, there's, there's always a lot of hand-wringing uh, around this time from different corners of the culture war about keeping Christmas sacred and all that. And I, I, I find it kind of interesting because the whole meaning of the incarnation is that the word that was with God that brings light into the darkness is that there is no dividing wall between the sacred and the secular. There is nothing outside of the reach of the drama of Jesus coming to be with us in the world. Not your job. Not your lack thereof, not whether or not the holiday cups are holiday cups that are red or whatever they are, not the disease that has attacked your body, not Gaza, not Ukraine, not the streets of our own city, not one thing that is beyond the reach of the light that has come to chase out the darkness. And I don't know about you, but I need that to be true. And so this season of Advent isn't the time set aside to carve out a little bit of rest in our overbusy lives. If you try to make it that, you'll probably drive everyone around you crazy. No, Advent is one of the best chapters in God's struggle of the light against the dark. It's the assurance that the darkness will never overcome the light. It's just a reminder that it doesn't matter how dark it gets. And there's some real darkness. Jesus has come to be with our world and in the darkest parts of your life. 
So you got a choice about how you're going to spend these next 22 days. You can spend all your time getting ready for a holiday, but you might just end up running around in the dark. Or you can watch for the light. And no doubt these are going to be some of the busiest weeks of your life, of your year. They always are. And now all that means is you're going to need even more time to pray and worship. That's how we prepare our hearts to hear the words that God has been dying to speak from the beginning of time. I love you. I am with you. Come to me and find life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.